There it is. All right. Welcome, 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 everybody. We got a fun one today. We are joined by a really cool guest, and we're going to be talking all about your relationships, compersion, jealousy, relationship expectations. This is going to be so educational, so fun. Uh, tune in. Here we go. Practicing polyamory, real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life, flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right, all right, here we go. Welcome to this beautiful day. Before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest, I want to quickly remind everybody to please follow the show, follow us, uh, especially on Facebook and Instagram where I'm most active, but you can find the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Polyay. I'm even on TikTok now, so having fun with that. Speaking of free ways to support the show, the best way to support is to share it far and wide and encourage others to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you download podcasts. My goal is to get to 40,000 subscribers. I know that with your help, we can get there. So please, if you find value in what we're doing here, share it with your polycule, share it in your Facebook groups, share it with your poly friends, your children, family, and all over the interwebs. Once again, at Practicing Poly A all over, all over the social medias. Lastly, and as always, I want to remind you, if you are listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on this show. If you are actively polyamorous, polyam curious, or a professional serving the polyamorous community, I want to hear your story. If you are disabled, BIPOC, pan, bi, demi, gay, straight, sex worker, kingster, queer, lesbian, trans, NB, arrow, ace, whatever it is, we want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the more representation we have, and the better we can serve our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com and sign up today. All right, that's my spiel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on to the best part of the show, introducing our awesome guest. Today's guest found himself practicing monogamy by default, a path that many, if not most of us, followed for much of our younger lives. And when our guest finally discovered polyamory in 2011, his life changed and he has since experienced a wide variety of relationship dynamics in the spectra of multigamy. Now, that's a fun word. Like the rest of us, our guest is an imperfect human and has made plenty of mistakes on his polyam journey, but he's remained committed to learning and growing. His focus is now on open, conscious communication while empowering people to build autonomous, connected, interdependent relationships. He's been running workshops uh, and has been a public speaker on the subject of polyamory since 2014 and has been offering coaching services since 2020. If there's one thing he loves, it's helping people communicate openly and become self-aware of their needs and boundaries for with knowledge of the self, one can truly know and love another. This is sure to be one hell of a conversation, so let's dive right in. Joining us today from Open Relating across the pond in London, thank you again for staying up late with us tonight. Welcome to the show, Roy Graf. I was waiting for that. Roy, thank you so much for joining today. It's a uh, Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out. Hey, James. Uh, good research. Great introduction. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's 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 my one skill. You know, it's uh, the one thing that I that I I enjoy doing here. Uh, so, 
we got a bit of your background. I've uh, been practicing polyamory for uh, almost 10 years now. You are now doing coaching services. Um, but with this transition from monogamy to default and now finding this other path and, and this, this word multigamy, that, that's what stands out to me. Can you explain to me what that means to you and kind of how you found your path there? So uh, I just want to preface that multigamy is, some, is a word I came up with because I wasn't happy with the alternatives. Mm, and I don't know okay. if you'll catch on or not, but I am sticking by it for now. And uh, um, so, but really what it is is what, uh, is what people refer to as non-monogamy, right? So it's the whole mm -hmm. gamut, the whole spectrum of relationship dynamics that are not a mon monogamous one, you know, two people exclusively dating each other. And um, for me, it makes sense because... I don't want this dynamic to just be seen as the other one, you know, as the one that's not default, which is for many people monogamy. Right. And when I first started having relationships in uh, my late teens and early twenties, the, you know, there wasn't really another option. So it is a default. Is this something that you're expected to, to do because mm -hmm. everybody else around you is doing it. And it's what society tells you is the right way. And, um, you know, ha had I known there were options at the time, I'm pretty sure I would have realized what's the right thing for me if I could actually observe and understand and, and research the different options that are out there. And um, by taking out this kind of negative um, word non in nominogamy and, mm -hmm. and creating a more positive um, term for it, I think we can maybe also start taking away some of the stigma that it's like an alternative or um, uh, just a niche thing. Ultimately, Got it. Yeah, ultimately, people um, may or may not be multigamous or polyamorous or monogamous, but at least it's worth it for them to um, inquire, you know, to ask mm -hmm. that question. I like it. I like it. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the words uh, heterosexuality and homosexuality. Right. We don't say non heterosexual. Non -heterosexual. Yeah. We we just created another word to describe, you know, a different, a different, uh, orientation. Mm -hmm. So that's, sounds like that's kind of what you're doing. It's not monogamy versus non-monogamy. It's mono, right? Meaning one monogamy versus multi multigamy. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I like it. I like what you did there. Are you a wordsmith? Did you write the dictionary? <laughs> well, I like you it. know, polyamory is a, is a is a recently made up word. Conversion is a recently mm -hmm. made up word. There is a, you know some uh, uh, a track record in people creating words where they can't find the right terminology to fit who they are, and that makes sense because society has been pretty hetero um, heteronormative um, and mononormative for such a long time, right? Yeah, and. Uh, and if people are not using and not not um, not using those phrases, then they die out. And even you know, I think that mm -hmm. it's possible that in the, the long, long kind of history in the past, there were some words that um, uh, people were using, but you know, to describe uh, a a multigamous relationship or an open relationship, okay. etc. But you know, we they died. You know, that we lost them because they weren't in use. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're language is dynamic, right? Language li is, a, is a living thing. Mm -hmm. It's but so scary. Uh, <laughs> a tan! A tan! That's, that's a good clip, but I, all I'm thinking is Mean Girls. Like, that's so fetch. That's so <laughs> fetch. Stop trying to make fetch a thing. It's not going to be a thing. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
All right, Roy. So, so I love this word that that you are using. Uh, it does feel more inclusive. Uh, it, it does have more of a a positive ring uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to non monogamy. I like that you're kind of taking that negativity out. Um, so, let's jump into uh, some of these topics that we've got. So, uh, compersion, as you mentioned, a recently made up word. Um, why don't you define it? For us first, uh, let's start with defining compersion and uh, kind of, I guess, where, why that is a topic of interest for you. What is it about compersion that you really want to bring to the table? Huh. Uh, so compersion, you can um, very simply define it as sympathetic joy. And I think it's very easy for us to, you know, uh, to uh, know from our own experiences that if we see um, maybe our child playing with a dog and having a great time or with a toy and we can feel that joy that they're feeling, right? We, we have mm-hmm. sympathy for that. If we see a friend that's just got a promotion at work and they're very happy and we really are happy for them, all of that can be compersion, right? All of that okay. is basically compersion. The, um, the, the thing about uh, polyamory and um, multigamy more broadly is that all of a sudden there's this like, situation which is quite unique which is our partner is experiencing um, falling in love, uh, being excited about someone else, mm-hmm. um, experiencing new relationship energy with another person. That's not us. Mm-hmm. And in our society, you know, we've been kind of used to this uh, idea that we are the ones that are responsible for this new relationship energy, for this romantic excitement of another of, of our partner. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, for you know, has been regarded as an exclusive thing, and of course, for people who are um, not monogamous, it's not exclusive, and it can happen multiple times over your lifetime, and 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 with different people at the same time. So, um, people know that you know people basically experience the same kind of sympathetic joy or compersion when their partner is really excited about um, another person and doing something with another person. So for me, I, I, I personally, you know, experience it. I see that kind of uh, excitement and, 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 and kind of life joy that a partner, my partner gets if she's had a really great date or if she's getting mm-hmm. excited about going on a date, et cetera. And, and um, yeah, so I, I love this feeling and I like the word. Um, by the way, Dan Savage doesn't like this word. I mean, I think it's just like the, the sound of this word is uh, uh, annoying him and he just, <laughs> but uh you know it's it's i think it's a nice word and what i've noticed happening in polyamorous circles is that people talk about compersion kind of hyping it up and mm-hmm. then there are some people who don't feel it don't experience it yes you know? and and um they might then feel that they're doing it wrong that they're not mm-hmm. polyamorous enough or mm-hmm. you know because they can't feel compersion and what I want to say is that that's okay. You don't have to feel conversion. It's not a requirement to be polyamorous. Um, if you're if you're if you're okay with your partner seeing other people, and you're indifferent to it, that's okay, right? It, it's not. Yeah, I think it's a nice to have, but it's not uh, something that you really absolutely must have um, to successfully practice polyamory. Um, there are ways to uh, build it up. And there are ways to check why you're not feeling it, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, yeah, it doesn't mean you're a failure at polyamory if you're not experiencing compersion. 
there are you know many reasons why that might be you know it could be usually it's because there's some fear and insecurity around um, freshly opening up a relationship and that kind of insecurity um, is going to trigger some jealousy and that will be hard to then um, feel lots of compersion if you're insecure and you're worried about the situation but yes and, and, I, and I heard you know I've, I've, I've had um, clients and friends that tell me that they're feeling both at the same time. They really are happy for their partner, but they're also really scared for themselves, right? So, yeah. yeah. And when um, when people say, and a lot of websites now, when they're uh, picking up on this word, they very simplify, they simplify it by saying, oh, compersion is the opposite of jealousy. So, okay. and, and that and that's what creates you- this, this, um, this, this worry that if I'm jealous and I'm not, I can't have compersion and I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you... I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Well played, well played. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't agree that... with that, no. Okay, go on. It's the opposite of jealousy. So I think jealousy is the opposite of insecurity. And we can talk a little bit about that more later. But uh, compersion is, you can basically contrast it with indifference. So okay. you can be jealous and you can become, you know, compersive at the same time. And that might feel like two contradictory emotions, but you know we often feel happiness and sadness. You know, bittersweet feelings. We're perfectly capable to feel contradicting and kind of different emotions. So um, yeah, it's just that's part of human nature. Yeah, Tara agrees with you. Not the opposite of jealousy at all. Uh, yeah. I would, I would, you know, venture. I'm, I'm on the same uh, same wavelength. I think I've I've mentioned it. I've I've defined it that way before uh as a simple way to um to just explain it to somebody who maybe just doesn't understand who isn't in the know so to speak uh but i like your definition better sympathetic uh, sympathetic joy it's not my definition it's from the internet um (laughs) but it's uh yeah but it's the simplest way to explain it and it kind of it just has it all there um, and, and, you know, I also, when I first started out practicing polyamory, I assumed that that's what's going on. It's the opposite of jealousy. Mm-hmm. And because I am not a jealous person and I feel a lot of compersion, for me, that was easy to just accept that. But then, you know, I, have, I had partners that basically weren't happy for me to, that, that I had other days so that I was mm-hmm. with another person. They didn't, you know, express that joy, but they were also fine with it, you know? It's um, it, it didn't bother them, but it's not you know they just didn't um, um, jump up and down with joy because I was having a great time with someone else, and um, I realized not everybody feels it the same way, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah that's cool, baby. I mean, you know how it is. Exactly. I mean, you could you could be a Danny Zuko and just play it off and be cool about it. You know, it doesn't have to be that you're all super excited for your partner, and you know. I think uh, that you are absolutely right that uh, there's almost an expectation or or a a goal within the polyamorous community that we want to have that compersion, like we 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 want to experience that happiness for our partners, and some people just don't get there, and yeah, they they absolutely get to that point where they're asking themselves, "Am I doing this right?" Um, when I'm when I'm listening, you consider to you, failure experience. <laughs> uh, while I'm listening to you talk here, I'm, I'm thinking of of like 
like three levels. You've got jealousy, which is, you know, going to be unhealthy. You've got neutrality and then you've got compersion. Uh, and I think probably a good goal would be just to, to get out of the jealousy and into either neutrality or compersion. Uh, how does that sound to you? Um, well, jealousy is a lot more complicated than that. And okay. it occurs at different levels. So depending on why and where the jealousy comes from, it may or may not be the goal to get to neutrality and from there to compersion. Mm -hmm. um, because when we are experiencing feelings of jealousy, it can be because um, there is a, kind of a dissonance between what we have grown up with, what we learn to believe, come to believe about relationship expectations and what the kind of reality of the situation now is. And if all my life I've been told that I should be enough for someone and they don't, and, and, if, and if they have me, they shouldn't want anybody else. And then they're telling me, hey, I want to also date other people. Then it can be that it's just there. It's, it's a mental, it's a mind-led uh, belief system that uh, is preventing me from um, just accepting it and being happy for, for her, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's an area where yes, you can you can work on those beliefs. You can unlearn and deprogram yourself from um, what uh, I call monogamists. Um, all these kind of um, stories about monogamy that we're being told. Right. And, um, mm. Looks like we have a question from our live audience. So Jesse is asking, how do you understand your partner's jealousy when you don't feel that yourself? So if you don't feel jealousy, how can you empathize with your partner who does feel jealousy? You develop empathy. Um, you know, you can't judge people by your own uh, your own feelings. You can't expect them to feel what you feel. And it's really about learning to know them um, and developing empathy for them and really listening and hearing them and understanding what they're telling you. The, um, uh, so in my relationship, my partner has anxiety around jealousy and has had that. And I... There are two things. One is be compassionate and listen, but also hold on to your boundaries. I think that's really important. If in response to my partner's jealousy, I will say, okay, because you are worried about something, I just won't do it. I mean, I want to maybe date someone, but you're feeling anxious about it. So I will, for you to, for you to feel safe, I will not do it. Mm -hmm. Now that actually doesn't help. It's a temporary fix, right? Mm -hmm. And it will just uh, put a kind of false sense of security because ultimately we both want to be, to go towards more openness and, and having other partners. So, um, and if we didn't, we shouldn't be in a relationship together, right? The idea is that our values are shared, but we may not be getting there at the same at the same speed. So um, having clear boundaries and saying, well, this is what I need to do for, for myself. And I will respect what you need to feel more safe, and that can look different, you know, look uh, like different things. Um, for example, she may not want to know details about what I've done with another mm -hmm. person. So I don't need to like push on her all the information if she doesn't want to hear it. Um, she may not want to see me with another person being intimate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's possible, I can respect that, right? Right. So, um, but, the, but it's also helpful for, the, my partner to see me um, kind of protecting my own boundaries and sticking to my boundaries and meeting my own needs in, in the way that I feel I want to. Yeah. That I need to. 
Yeah, so let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, there's a level of self-awareness that is required in order to set those boundaries. And that self-awareness, I mean, uh, one of the things that, that, that I read about you that, that uh, you said was to truly love another person, we got to be self-aware and, and, and know ourselves, know ourselves well enough to, to, be, to be able to share. Uh, I said it better in the intro, but uh, <laughs> the better we know ourselves, the better we can love another person. There we go. That, that's a good way to say it. Um, and so getting into that that self-awareness and and moving into that um and developing even even the empathy what are some steps that people can take what are some things that you would start with if i'm just like freshly coming to you and like you know i'm not really sure of what my boundaries are at all you know we started this relationship we're just you know doing our thing, exploring this, we're new. How do I determine what my boundaries are? I mean, it's a really good question. And so many people start off relationships, doesn't matter if it's monogamous or multigamous relationships without really knowing their own boundaries. And when, when this is the case, then you will likely get into situations of codependency and of crossing each other boundaries all the time and not realizing it. Now, our authentic self is aware when boundaries are crossed and that will create some kind of conflict and resistance inside mm. but if we don't if we can't define it if we can't actually name those boundaries and recognize what's happening then we're likely going to uh, either um, do things that go against our our own needs right and then just basically be wracked with guilt or shame or frustration and then need an outlet for that so the work I do in my course, for example, is even though the goal is to create kind of authentic and conscious autonomous relationships, we start off by understanding, you know, each person who I am, um, what are my values, mm-hmm. and what are what are, what is my um, uh, what was my attachment style as a child, you know, with my caregivers, um, what do I need in this world, what are my core needs. And um, also, what are my love languages, for example? Mm-hmm. So going through all the steps to evaluate who, who, who am I really? What do I want, right? Um, what part of my personality or what parts of my personality were created as a survival mechanism to deal with traumas and difficulties I had as a child? And which parts are the kind uh, of present the authentic self? And... Um, this is work that you can do on your own through reading very, you know, psychological books, and uh, you can do it in therapy and in counseling. You can do it on, on gr- in group um, uh, group courses as well. There's different ways to get there, but ultimately, when you're at the level where you defined your needs, you can then draw boundaries around these needs. That makes sense. So. Um... Once you're at the level where you've defined those needs, then you can draw boundaries around those needs. Yes. And so the first part, the hard part, the real work is to define those needs. That is, I don't know if it's the the hard part. I think all these all these all these steps aren't easy, but they're also necessary if you want to have real authentic relationships. Because the a relationship when it's really connected and intimate is between my authentic self and my partner's authentic self. 
Mm. If I'm using some kind of survival personality, um, a different part of myself that isn't the authentic self, to connect with another person, what they see is not a reflection of my true self. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it kind of brings me back to to Jesse's question about, uh, you know, if if one person doesn't experience jealousy, so that doesn't really resonate with them, that that's not necessarily true to their authentic self. Maybe they have trouble uh, having that empathy for their partner. So if that's the case, how do they uh, develop that empathy and make it true to themselves? What I believe is that the authentic self is empathetic. I mean, we are born as babies, our authentic selves, and we are born with lots of empathy and ability to connect and be intimate with our caregivers, with people around us. You know, if you look at babies and see how they, how alive they are, how connected they are to to their caregivers, etc., that's like that. There's a lot of empathy in there as well. So, um, I believe that our authentic self has empathy. But what happens? So, if if uh, the reason you're unable to experience jealousy is because of some kind of traumatic experience that blocked off certain emotion, kind of access to your emotions, mm-hmm. for example, then in that situation, it'll be very hard for you to um, empathize with your partner's jealousy and anxiety. But if the reason is that you're very secure in yourself and your authentic self, right? And you're, mm-hmm. um, you're just, you're basically a secure person, then you can still connect with your partner and with their, um, with their emotions. And you'll be able to empathize and hold space for them. The, the trick is, you know, I think in that situation is to draw out what they what they are feeling and listen to them and respect it, not minimize it, not diminish it, not uh, try to um, fix them um, or, or alternatively telling them that they shouldn't feel that way. But um, being empathetic while still holding on to your boundaries. I mean, I, I just want to stress that. And yeah. Yeah, and for me, this was a, a whole journey because I've, as you mentioned in the in the intro, pretty much made every mistake that you can make, kind of trying to be polyamorous mm-hmm. and practicing it. Um, and I learned a lot of painful lessons. And I'm hoping that the work I do now was going to um, um, help prevent other people from making those mistakes and uh, saving them some um, heartache. I'm just curious, what was your personal experience with uh, jealousy and compersion? Well, I've never been a very jealous person. So even when I was monogamous, I used to get a kick out of seeing guys flirting with my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I would feel good about it because I thought, well, if if these guys like her, then, you know, I've got a good taste, you know, and she really <laughs> great. And, um, so, but it doesn't mean I don't experience jealousy at all. And there are there were situations where I do experience jealousy. Um, but uh, I think that's okay. I actually, for me, jealousy is a is a great spotlight on what what issues I need to tackle, what issues I need to work on. Right? It showcases my insecurities in a very clear way that I can be like, oh, I'm I have this fear. Right? Maybe it's a fear that I'll, that of a, that I will be abandoned. Maybe it's a fear. Um, that you find somebody better than me, and that can be that I'm not secure enough or I don't value myself enough. So why don't I just work on that and build up that security? 
And for me, I... Skills I've acquired over a very long career. <laughs> you do acquire those skills. I acquire those skills, yeah. Um, mm. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, when, when it comes to jealousy and you mentioned insecurity, and I think when we first started talking about it, you said that jealousy is the opposite of insecurity. Did I catch that right? No, jealousy is the opposite of security. Jealousy is the opposite of security. Yeah. Okay. So the insecurity, jealousy, it's all related, of course. Um, people have different ideas of, you know, I've, I've heard a couple of different things on, on where the jealousy comes from. The jealousy, of course, is a symptom, not the root. Uh, what would you say if somebody said, well, where does, where does the jealousy come from? What would your answer be? So I started uh, earlier uh, explaining what uh, jealousy looks like when it comes from the mind, right, from our belief systems and our kind of indoctrination um, in, in, in kind of socialized norms around what to expect in a relationship. That can lead to jealousy. Another place where it can come from is from our emotions. And uh, often it's connected to a past experience that we had that made us feel a certain way. And the situation now that is triggering the jealousy is basically triggering a memory of that experience. And that is really a very emotional thing. And we can say to ourselves rationally, oh, this is a diff different situation from what I experienced years ago. So I shouldn't feel jealous, but you know, our emotions are not our mind. And if, if there's a part of us that's uh, hurting, it's going to come out. So, um, I don't know if you've heard of um, uh, sub-personalities and uh, uh, psychological parts, um, IFS, internal family systems. Have you heard of that? Uh, barely, briefly. Please educate okay. me. I will try, but I know we don't have a lot of time, and this is a pretty <laughs> big topic as well. But uh, the idea is that inside our, you know, our personality is comprised of these parts um, that are almost like independent beings with a very clear mission, which is to protect us from something. Mm -hmm. And these are parts that were split off from our, from our uh, psyche uh, in childhood or as we were growing up in response to, response to certain traumas and crises. So when that happens, there could be like an inner child that's wounded from some experience in the past, maybe, um, you know, uh, parents uh, breaking up or in, 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 uh, Extreme situations can also be around abuse and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that part has a, a clear mission to protect you from this ever happening again. And certain um, borderline situations, especially when you're trying to, you know, be kind of have a uh, a relationship dynamic that's different from any, from what everybody knows. That you know, where you don't have a support network around you, where there's no clear mentors in that, there's no clear guidebook on how to do this, then this is basically the unknown. And the unknown can trigger um, your your kind of a, um, a danger response, you know, a risk mm -hmm. response from the body and saying, whoa, this is too risky because I've in the past have been hurt. Okay? Right, so we're following. Is, yeah. And uh, then you're going to basically be feeling this, what people call jealousy, but basically you're your emotions are trying to stop you from doing something that that the part that part is afraid of, and that's harder to deal with by saying by saying oh, oh it's it's just an irrational fear, 
mm-hmm. because because it creates a, a, a physical response in the body, you know, and that can look like uh, increased heart rate, palpitations, panic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's different for different people depending on the extent of of their past traumatic experiences. So it sounds like jealousy can be a defense mechanism of the mind. It's definitely a defense mechanism. It just sometimes misfires. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Um, We are, as you mentioned, getting uh, close to the end of our time here. Uh, So I wanted to just give you an opportunity. Uh, First of all, uh, is there anything that I missed? Is there anything that uh, you wish that I had asked you uh, or anything that maybe I just forgot to ask you, something we were talking about that you were like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go back to this. Final thoughts. Um. Not really. I think we we did cover quite a lot and really quickly. So what I want to just say is that this is not these are not simple things, especially when we're dealing with anxiety around jealousy. And sometimes the this idea of like let's let's just you know go full steam ahead and push through isn't the right solution, especially mm-hmm. if it's, uh, the jealousy is related to deep trauma. So I just want people to be very gentle with themselves. And if something feels really really wrong, it doesn't mean you have to just push through it. Um, sometimes the, what the, the, the solution is to try it and see that it's not as bad as your imagination made it out to be. And sometimes developing kind of working at, uh, say, creating more compersion in your life can also help deal with the jealousy. So, um, but you know, if people want to know more about it, they're welcome to, um, obviously schedule a free session with me or come on the course or, or write me and I'll be happy to, happy to, um, give more information. Perfect. And if they wanted to do that, that was the last question I was going to ask. How can people get in touch with you, especially for our listening audience? Because you've got a lot of podcast listeners. Good point. Um, so my website is openrelating.love, L-O-V-E. And um, my social media handle is openrelating on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So any of those ways are great. And can you tell me a little bit about your program, well, uh, I've got a course, uh, which is for an online course for small groups, uh, maximum eight people. And it's over five weeks with uh, two-hour workshops every week. We cover, um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we cover the um, getting to know yourself, uh, under, building your own um, boundaries around your needs, so identifying your needs and creating those boundaries, learning how to relate and communicate those boundaries with another uh, we talk about love languages, attachment styles. We talk about um, deprogramming our minds from the uh, monogamous um, and uh, the socialized kind of expectations that we grew up with. And we look at all the different alternatives and, and of, of relationship dynamics and um, emotional connection and sexual connection. So it's a pretty expansive course. Um, all the details about it are on my website, openrelating.love. And um, there, what I do is I, when uh, a group forms, I start it and I announce uh, dates for the starting times every few months. Got it. Perfect. All righty. Well, Roy, it has been uh, an absolute pleasure. I want to thank you again for uh, staying up late. I know it's uh, it's pretty late out there uh, in, in London. So thank you for hanging out with me and spending some time. Uh, really appreciate what you're doing and uh, just what I've learned from you today. 
James, it's been a real pleasure, and it's really good to meet you. You as well. It's been it's been a blast. Thanks so much. Uh, and thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday right here, 2.30 Pacific time, or sign up for our Patreon where you get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to share everywhere. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on, down, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is to download your podcast if you haven't already and please leave us a review we'll really appreciate it thank you again roy thank you so much for your time and uh for everybody else out there y'all make sure to uh have a nice day Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.